Hello and welcome to Potshot. I'm Alex Towles and I'm joined by Seb Hund and returning, dragged back, kicking and screaming because nobody else was available, it's Alex <laughs> Collings. Hello, Alex. Hi, Towles. How are you? I'm it's good well. to be back, I think. It's, it's good to have you back. Uh, if you're listening and don't have Twitter to see uh, our tweets, then you might not know. Well, you, you probably noticed that Alex hasn't been around for a while, but that's because he's <laughs> deep in thesis hell. Uh, and we've dragged it out of it for one week only. Maybe one week only. We'll see what he's up to next week, just to <laughs> fill in uh, while Lorcan and Manus aren't around to help us plug the gap this international break. So... Thank you for joining us. Thank you for filling in. And as part of the, as part of the deal that got you back, you said that you wanted to ask the pot shot question. So I'll hand over to you. Okay. Cool. 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 All right. So this is my pot shot question. Is I want to put you guys in a in a space. Think of yourselves as like you know dirty capitalists, right? <laughs> right. And what you have now, you have access to the, like the technology to be able to bring back one extinct species but because you're dirty capitalists the species that you bring back whatever it is from however far back it has to be something that you know comes into your entrepreneurial plan some sort of profit making business so you're bringing back some extinct species and however you're using it breeding it i don't know it's full purpose of making profit whether it's some sort of theme park or whatever so that's that's sort of the ground what species are you bringing back and how are you planning to profit off it? Okay, so this is like <laughs> the, the question is: if you could bring back one extinct animal for the sole purpose of making money, which would it be? That's all that matters. <laughs> sure, um, you can't just bring back I don't know, like a Stegosaurus because you thought it'd be cool. It has to. There has to be some sort of evil side. I, I tell you there. what. Um, I was. I heard that part of the reason why the dodo went extinct is because it was really fucking tasty, like really nice. So I'll bring back the dodo exclusively to battery farm it and put it on people's I, plates. I hate you for this because that was my pick. That was what I was going to come forward with. Uh, and you know, but we're going to say best to choose something else because otherwise we're we're out of cool animals to bring back. But but I mean, it's probably the least exciting animal. It's just kind of a some sort of maybe turkey sort of thing. But yeah, apparently they were really delicious. The Dutch were actually the ones that came across onto Mauritius and um, yeah, basically just ate them until they went extinct. And then the Dutch left Mauritius and the French came and took took the island or you know, country. So, so yeah, I would bring them back and, you know, breed and sell them to you know, make a better tasting chicken, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, Christ. I'm really bad at this. Um, <laughs> my, my first and only thought here is to bring back some form of dinosaurs. I'm thinking specifically of any flying dinosaurs and sort of use them as uh, means of uh, shipment or means of, you know, can't get my words out. Do you think you'd be able to tame a dinosaur? Yeah, that's though. a big problem is getting them to <laughs> actually yeah. do the work. Jurassic Park <laughs> is don't do a Jurassic Park. Yeah, but what... what, what, uh, what uh, what extinct feel like species Seb's... are left then? Like it's it's dinosaurs, dodos. Well, you know what? Maybe since Taos took mine, I bring back a quacha, but I don't know what I do with what the it. fuck. It's, is it's, a quacha? A, Isn't that like a kind of bird? <laughs> it's an no. It's it's like a half horse, half zebra sort of thing. That's a half horse, half the zebra. The southern Africa, the southern African plains. 
Yeah. Yeah, I'm just gonna go with. But I don't know what I. I don't know what I do with a quaker. Domesticated dinosaurs doing manual labor. You know what, Seb? I feel like that would completely implode. Yeah, as I know. A, as a, as a, I, perhaps that's as a perhaps that's my strategy here: just tearing down the capitalist system by <laughs> making it implode on itself through manual labor by domesticated dinosaurs. Ah, okay, inside job. <laughs> I back it. Okay. Um... <laughs> On that, <laughs> yep, uh, on that, we're going to move on to the questions. So we asked over on Twitter on X for your questions for this international break because we didn't have anything else to talk about and we wanted to put out a podcast. We've picked any of your questions and we're going to answer them and hopefully do it well. The first one was asked by Alex. I didn't know I was going to be on the pod at the time. <laughs> Do the other members of the pod miss me? And I think we have answered that self-evidently in bringing you back for this episode. Uh, yes, we do miss you. Please come back. We need your help. Uh, but it's all good. <laughs> the more pertinent question, Alex, is have you missed the pod? I have missed the pod, I, I won't lie. Especially, I'm hearing Seb every other week slandering my name in my absence so I, I knew i had to come back at some point <laughs> i slandered you once let's not overreact here well i'm a sensitive person so that's what i'm back the next week but yeah no I'm, i've definitely missed the part i'm i'm very much looking forward to coming back more permanently in the new year okay N- now into the actual questions uh mayank sharma asks would it be beneficial for us to sell parte in january and who, according to you, are the best eight options available in January? Uh, Seb, as our designated Thomas Partey hater on the podcast, I'll start with you. Um, I guess a lot of this depends on whether any club would actually take on Thomas Partey. That's like the first barrier we need to cross here. Um, if that were to be the case... I would say, yeah, selling him now would probably be the best idea. The best idea would probably have been selling him in uh, in the summer. Um, he's 18 months away from the end of his contract. He's been m- more injured than he has been since coming here. Uh, so he's distressed goods at the moment. But getting him out for a role that we don't currently have, which is sort of second phase eight, would probably be more beneficial for the squad considering a with Jorginho and Rice you have two different options in the E6 that can do different things for different uh, situations that both have pretty good availability meaning you're probably never going to be too stretched thin in the six without Thomas Partey there Um, and if you can sort of allocate those funds to signing a profile that would benefit the squad in an eight uh, I'd probably do that yeah yeah, I think it would probably be beneficial to... I mean, let's start off. I think I want Partey gone by yeah. any means. Selling, cancelling the contract. Eating him into the sun. Other means of removing him from the squad, yeah. Um, but I think trying to isolate from that, which I try not to do, because I think there are much bigger reasons why I don't want him around. I, I do think it would be beneficial to sell because, yeah, he's just not reliable enough, honestly. I think it's probably fine beside that point but he's just not reliable enough to think that he won't get injured and i think you could reinvest that money really well i do think it would be important to actually get in someone who both patches up the problems that we've had in terms of like second phase central progression stuff 
as well as being able to replace what Partey gives the team, especially if, you know, God forbid, like Declan Rice got injured, you don't want to suddenly just be relying on Jorginho to be like some sort of enforcer. You need someone to kind of either drop in besides them or replace Rice and be and Jorginho and be the be able to be the six. So I think that would be important. So I wouldn't I don't know if we got rid of Partey at this point, I think getting someone who could be a six eight would be really important in rather than just looking towards a more sort of attacking type of eight, which I would probably maybe be looking at if Partey wasn't leaving in January, which I don't think he will, but you never know. So on to the second part of the question, who, according to you, are the best eight options available in January? Alex, earlier today, someone suggested to you the idea of signing Jacob Ramsey and you suggested that that would be good. Do you think he'd be available in January? I don't think he'd be available in January. And is he not coming back from a long injury anyways? I don't think he'd be a good January option, but he's definitely, if if it's still a a role we need in the summer, he's definitely an interesting one for me. I really like Jacob Ramsey as a profile. I think he does give us, he give a lot of athleticism in that role. He'd obviously give, you know, a lot of um, penetration with his runs and stuff from, from deeper and in behind. So I think he'd be a good player. But I don't think he'd be someone we'd look at in January. And also, this is an interesting question to me because it's the type of eights that we need for January is something that I've still not made my mind up about. I've tweeted about it a lot. Like, there's one part of me wants sort of like that Alex Boehner sort of eight who can really drop in deep, can connect quite vertically, and then also really be that like final third guy um, in terms of creation as much as maybe getting on the end of stuff. But then the other part of me is thinks like we actually need someone who's like a big physical presence um you know can kind of almost do six sort of things um at least physically in terms of mobility and covering ground so it's not one of and for there i think i'm gonna do an anana i actually don't really see him as a six i see him as quite a, a pure eight because he he still struggles with a lot of like six type duties that he can't even really be like a sort of secondary six that we could see someone like kaiseido being for us if he had come but Onana, there's just so much there. He's really good on the turn. He's really good at carrying. Um, he's he's a good ball winner. He's very mobile. I think the important things for me, though, are really like second phase duties and being able to do it vertically, being able to connect the pitch quite vertically and, and moving through the through the middle. Um, so whatever type of player, whether it's a slightly more defensive or like box-to-box type, um, like Onana or maybe more like the Alex Bain. I've even I've spoken about Desiree Due. Um, Ebreche, Ezea, guys, I all like as that more sort of 8-10 type. It has to be someone who can kind of connect the thirds through through the center in quite a vertical fashion, I would say. So we're looking to bring in a player who both can attack really well and provide good uh, box presence while also being really physical and good defending. So I look forward to welcoming Jude Bellingham to the carpet in January. <laughs> um. I mean, that's the thing. I was looking at that Joby, that Joby Bellingham comp earlier today and I was like, he could kind of work if he was a couple years older. But, but yeah, it's a tough profile to look for. And I think you kind of have to make a, are you going to go more like, sort of a 6-8 a but can kind of be box to box or maybe that sort of like I want to call like a needle player like a, an Alex Bain who can kind of receive on the turn and carry up but isn't necessarily going to be that physical ball winner deal winner um, defensively it's it's a it's an interesting question which I don't really have an answer to 
Um, I think you could mold guys like Desiree Due maybe, but he'll always be a little bit more of a final third guy. So even though he has a bit more physicality about him. I'm sort of leaning the other way of saying I'd, I'd prefer someone who's more a 6'8", as Alex said, rather than an A10. Um, and someone who'd primarily be a progressive passer who can sort of cover back defending, uh, can drive the ball upfield and is comfortable in that sort of left half space. Um, the link I like most in that regard would be someone like Martin Thubimendi. Big problem with him, as with anyone from that region, is getting him the fuck out of Real Sociedad, which is uh, a big concern. <laughs> Um, but profile-wise, he'd probably be the one I, I'd like the most in that role. Um, the Douglas Luiz links are interesting, though I'm not 100% on him, though I've not watched much Villa. Alex, perhaps you have a bit more on him. I like him a lot, just that that price, it seems it seems crazy. Yeah. I mean, I'm very open to either type, and Douglas Luiz would be kind of perfect if we could get him for like 30 to 40 million, as we could have a year ago. Um but my issue is is where we're at as a squad. It's so difficult with whoever we bring in, especially when we've got certain price points we can't go above because whoever you're bringing in, you either want to bring in slightly on the cheaper side relatively, but with the knowledge that they'll be a really good squad player now and you know they won't necessarily get in the way long-term. So someone like Trossard um, and Jorginho are actually in high tide, really good buys this time, uh, well, ju- just just less than this time a year ago, right? But Douglas Luiz kind of for for 40 million, he feels the same sort of thing. But suddenly when you're hearing, and I don't think Villa need to sell be- below like 70 to 80 million. You kind of and think like, just what crazy. does he, yeah, you think, what does he have that's really going to make him this like, basically a player that you want to bring in that kind of competes to be the starter, can be like a title winner, can push the team forward. And I think Luiz does that in that he makes the team better, but... There may be better, younger, and like players with like specific strengths that are just much bigger than Luigi's um, that you could get at that price, um, even if they maybe need to develop into it. And then obviously the guys like Kamavinga, whoever, just aren't available. So it's a very tough point for us as a club to be at in terms of who we recruit. And we have to be really smart. And I think Luis would be a good signing, but it's just like at that price, it's quite crazy. Um, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel good about it. I'd be, I'd be happy to be proven wrong. But I don't see him being like a sixty to seventy million player, and I don't see them. I don't see them selling at sixty. Why would they need to? For Villa, he is a sixty million pound player. Yeah, and I mean, once you're at that point, I I think you're probably better off trying to convince Subimendi to come and paying his. I think it's sixty million yeah. euros release clause. Yeah. Zubi Mendy excites me. I don't know. Yeah, I haven't watched enough of him, but he he definitely excites me. And I think his is what fifty one or sixty million euros, something like that. Yeah, it's sixty million euros release clause, and yeah. then just basically convincing the player to come. But I th- I think he does give you most of the stuff we lost with Shaka in that role back at least, and that's something I'd very much like to have. Let me throw something a little bit more left field at you. Uh, if we were needing a eight profile but we say weren't willing to commit much money to it how would you guys feel about recalling charlie patino charlie patino from loan at swansea i think i wouldn't because he's having a really good loan at swansea and i think that's really important for him but it's also one of those things where i've i had a different feeling last season when balagun was having a really good loan at 
Ronson, then there was an opportunity for him, for us to maybe recall him in Jan, which I don't think we even thought about doing. Um, partly because he was having a really good loan and they didn't want to mess with that, especially with an eye to maybe selling him, which we did um, in the summer. But but yeah, it's part of those things. Like I think, you know, Tiles, you know what I think of Opatino as a player. I mean, it's <laughs> one of our first pods we did was literally just half of it was me singing praises about Patino um, and you as well. But I think part of me says like, well, there would be a really good opportunity for him to come into the team. And like, this could be a shot. And, and often this is sort of the case with young players is people like they aren't ready, they aren't ready, they aren't ready. But sometimes they do just need that gap to be able to prove that they are ready. Um, but then the other part of me, the more logical part says like, you really have to be very good to be able to be part of the squad now. And it would really suck for him to come in and then basically play no minutes or play like, you know, 300, 400 maybe minutes between January and the end of the season when he could have been getting 2,000 plus minutes at Swansea. So I think I'd err, err towards no, but if he did come in, if we decided to recall him, obviously that would be some suggestion that Ateta would be willing to give him a shot. I would be very excited. And I do think he could be good enough, could be good enough to be part of the squad, but just not right now. Yeah. To be clear, I don't think we're going to do that. I just thought it would be an interesting thing I don't to think suggest. we're going to do that at all. <laughs> I don't think we're going to do that at all. Uh, okay, moving on. Michael asks, figures have been floating around regarding our budget for the January window. Where would the best use of that money be, in your opinion? And do you think we need to be active in the January window to achieve our goals this season? Um, a tangential question from that, which we will answer quite later, is what is our goals for this season? But for now, let's focus on this budget question. Um, Seb, what do you think our budget is going to be for this window? And what are your priorities personally? Um, to use a phrase by the current Tottenham Hotspur manager while he was still in charge of Celtic, I'm not an accountant, mate. <laughs> um, so the, the 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 budget part is a bit out of my area of expertise. Um, but I imagine we, we could do something similar to last season, perhaps even with a bit more if we do have one or two outgoings. Um, and I do think the squad kind of needs that. Um, we already said that not having a second phase eight is a bit of an issue. One that we can stem over with um, Rice playing there, but then you're taking away your second six with Thomas Partey basically not having no legs anymore. So you're relying on Jorginho all of the time and you're creating new problems there. Um, so I think that's a prescient issue as well as probably finding someone who can uh, ably play on the right wing or generally just a winger uh, to complement the forward group. Uh, I think we have enough options at centre-forward to tide over. I don't really think we have much in in a way of wingers past uh, Saka and Martinelli with Ed, with Nelson basically getting no minutes despite being fit. So that's probably the two most prescient areas of, of need for Arsenal. For me, it's it's the it's the eight. I, would, I think that's the most important need, I think. Yeah. Being able to be incisive through the middle, I know I'm a broken record at this point, but I think it, it it's the big thing that we need and also someone who can be able to really help in the second phase. Really just kind of, I'm not saying this to be like demeaning to, to Rice, but to hold his hand a little bit at times. 
really just to help us build out. It also means that we can have rice deepest in transition games where I think that it's important to do that. I mean, yeah, you can look at like the, obviously Arteta should be making accommodations when he isn't deepest. And he has recently now bringing Tommy in to kind of make the rest defense a little bit better for if we do lose the ball. But you still really do want Rice cleaning up in that area, I think. So, because he's just so good at it. Um, but yeah, so I think I think it should be the eight. And whatever money we can kind of put towards it would be would be great. Um, but, but yeah, like I said, I don't know what sort of player we could get. If it's someone like Zubamendi or whatever, I mean, I've not watched enough of him. But I'd be very happy with us spending that sort of money on someone who could be you know, backup six, um, and also could be that second or that that secondary six to kind of help build through, or someone more attacking just to give us a little bit more goal threat, a little bit more creativity through the middle. So yeah. And do you guys think we need that to achieve our goals this season? Which um, we'll use the goals that we decided on before the season, which is a title challenge and late runs in the cups. I think need is a bit hard, but we do have, we are flagging up some issues that probably are only solvable through external solutions rather than development internally. So I'd say to really maximize our chances, we do probably need at least one January edition. And I think that's how you kind of have to look at it. You, we could get away with not bringing one in, but you also want to be as good as possible. Yeah. And I think that's sort of how the club feels about it. So, yeah, I think I think we do probably need someone in. But it's a bit annoying because I think we probably, maybe apart from the, the winger issue, which I think you could address by using Gabby J out wide more, using Reese Nelson, um, and maybe you could have avoided these eight problems by maybe signing someone who did those things that Habits doesn't necessarily do. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> In the first place, the German Joel Linton. What a what a player! Um, <laughs> German Kieran Tierney. Additional left back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he scored from there. Doesn't do that for us, does he? <laughs> that goal had nothing to do with his positioning on the wing. That was a second phase off of a free kick. So, but I mean, actually, I so don't play goal. The <laughs> track, but but he was probably being being used to be like that box crasher yeah. late on yeah, at yeah. the far post, right? Yeah, I basically think it, how Nagelsmann has always historically used his wing backs in in a sort of quasi back three system. Yeah, yeah, and he was re- really good in that game. He was one of the only good players uh, coming out of there with their head held high. Yeah, Germany lost to Turkey. If you missed that one, uh, <laughs> so. <laughs> 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 it's alright, we're playing North Macedonia later today as we record, so um should be sure a cracker. Yeah. Next question. Max asks something with a little bit less of a time limit. Sell Reese and buy a winger or sell Eddie and buy a centre forward. Yeah, I have an opinion here, and I think the problem here isn't with the talent level of both of these players, it's with Arteta's willingness to use them. With Eddie, we have Eddie and we have players he is willing to play at center forward if Eddie or Jesus isn't available. With Reese, Ateta seems not to be very um, in favor of the idea of playing him, but we desperately need someone who can 
uh, ably fill in for either of our wingers if they're out. So if we could swap that out and have Reese go on to things where he can get more consistent minutes, which I would love for him, and get a winger in who Arteta would be willing to use more, I think that's a win-win for both sides rather than selling Eddie. Nottingham Forest would spend 25 million on Reese Nelson. They probably would. They probably would. I don't like this question because if we sold Eddie in January, which I don't think we necessarily should or need to do, I don't think bringing in a centre forward would be the right solution, especially it gets Trossard central, it gets us to use Reese more. I would be more open to selling Eddie and buying in a winger, uh, bringing in a winger. So that would be my, you know, I haven't answered the question because I had to pick between the two, but I think that's sort of what I would do. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah, I, I think I, I agree with Seb, I think. I think you guys are probably right because Arteta refuses to recognize that Nelson exists, but yeah. Our, our next question from Winterburn Wanderers uh, is again about uh, similar topics. Should we be targeting a left eight and moving Havertz into the nine rotation? Would you try Zinchenko slash Trossard left eight? We haven't really seen either. Why not? Um, I haven't answered any of these, so I'm going to give very quick answers. Um, maybe... Yes to Zinchenko, no to Trossard, and because neither of them are midfielders. Uh, but now I'm going to let you guys expand on that with your actual opinions. Uh, starting with Seb. I actually see the Zinchenko-Trossard thing the other way around. I'd rather have... Zin- <clears throat> I mean, both are imperfect solutions, but I think Trossard fits what we do with the ball really well in the left eight. Um, he's a bit of a problem out if we don't have the ball, which is part of the reason why he's never there because Arteta prioritizes that phase a lot. Um, but generally, both I don't see either of them playing the left eight um, more than just situationally. I mean, Trossard has played it in preseason, at least, and I think even one league game. But I can't remember He did last which. season when we were chasing yeah. a game. Yeah, yeah. I can't True. remember which one, but... I think it was Southampton. I also... That was in my head as well, yeah. so... Um, on the Havertz uh, moving into the nine rotation, um, yeah, we should be targeting a left eight. That much is clear. Um, with Havertz, I think the nine rotation is one of the options we have for him. I think he has shown over the last few weeks that uh, playing him on the right-hand side does get him more involved and get him into better positions for himself and for the team generally. Um, so just having him in positions where he's more comfortable playing in which is also part of the second question Winterburn Wanderers has put in about does Harvard's left-footedness mean he tends to be more progressive on the right and play more safe on the left? It's a straight yes for that question. Um, that's undoubtedly the case. Um, and it, it is seen in every game he's played for us so far. So um, yeah, targeting a left eight, meaning Harvard's can either be used in the nine or on the right-hand side. Uh, Zinchenko, Trossard on the left uh, in the left eight, probably not either. Um, and why not? Because uh, one offers us not enough out of possession and the other uh, is a lot better and pro- probably our best option at inverting from the left back position. That's been rambly, but yeah. Alex? I think you could situationally see both Sinchenko and Trussell as the left eights. I think there are probably good reasons why not. But I also think you can solve a lot of left eight 
issues with Zinchenko inverting in terms of how he inverts. And I think we saw in the last game, um, he was inverting a little bit higher at points. Um, and, and we were using a, him a lot in the final third, and he has that about him. Why Why he him and Trossard are both actually attractive in more central areas, high up, is because they're very good technically, very good in tight spaces, good on the turn. They're creative in those spaces, especially where things are opening up. Um, I think Trossard a bit more reactively to what the opponents do, and Zinchenko a bit more provocatively in terms of what he does to try to open up. Um but yeah, I agree. Out of possession, they're both issues, to be honest. I think Zinchenko less so than than Trossar. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's the sort of thing that I think in games, sometimes I would like to see Zinchenko stay on in central midfield and maybe you bring on like Tommy Asu at left back if Zinchenko had started at left back. I think Arteta's been very hesitant to do that in the past. I, there was a game, I can't remember which one. It might have even been Liverpool last season. Uh, I think it was. Where I was crying out because Zinchenko was just getting done 1v1 the whole time. But at the same time, we were struggling to get our foot on the ball to build out. That's so Arteta didn't episode. want to sub Zinchenko because he was so important to us just slowing down the play in possession. But we also clearly needed to sub Zinchenko or move him away from left back because he was just getting burnt there the whole time. And ultimately, we didn't do either of those. I think eventually Zinchenko got subbed. Um, but that's something I would like to see Arteta do a little bit more of is actually in the game, move Zinchenko into the middle. People say he's not a midfielder. He plays it all, He played it throughout his youth career. He played it at clubs like PSV. He plays it for Ukraine as their captain. I mean, he can play there. He's maybe not the best option for us there. But he can play there and we can move him there. And I think we did see in Sevilla, to be fair, basically played, I think he played all over the place when he came on, when he moved across or came on. Um, but he played at the right centre mid, basically, and he was comfortable there. So I think it's just being a bit more open to using him situationally, but not as like an ongoing week-to-week thing. Yeah. I think one of the concerns with Sinchenko is, at least on the evidence of him moving higher up when we're chasing games, um, is he he's quite aggressive in his pass selection when he's playing higher yeah. up, and that probably is something Arteta tends to avoid there. So that that's pretty much the only big concern I have with him if he were to be playing higher up. Flash forward three years, Fabio Vieira is the best left back in the league. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, him and Havertz in the rotation. Hell yeah. <laughs> Owen asks, Gabriel Martinelli scoring his first goal for Brazil the other day has resurfaced a lot of discussion about his prospects as a nine. How do you feel about Martin Nainelli, which is how he's written it? What do you see as his best role in the future? Alex. I think his best role is either as a nine or as an inside forward, as opposed to the more pure sort of withholding winger we use him as currently um you just want to get him close to the goal he's very good direct through the middle even carrying through the middle is very very good um it's very good on getting the end of things and we just don't see enough of that from him and that's really no fault of his own he's doing what he's being told to do in terms of holding the width and the opportunities just to get on the end of things are obviously less when you start from further out and when you have to kind of make sure you're doing your job before then getting to the to the other part of your job, which is scoring. And if it's a little bit more just staying close to goal, getting shots off, I think, yeah, it's, it's a lot easier for him to score. So I do think personally, like individually, that would be best for him. I'm still undecided whether it's a pure nine 
or whether it's an inside forward. I know a lot of people see it as one or the other. Um, but yeah, I think getting closer to goal is definitely where I stand. And yeah, I, I don't have too much more to say like as a definite. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like married to one side yet because I still think what he does for us is really important in terms of how I'd want to use him. But going forward, that is something that I think when we want to start maximizing and getting more goals out of him, and there's so much more that we could tap into there, I think getting him central could really help. He's just a little bit more natural in being able to be a bit more direct from those areas. Um, yeah, and he's you know he's good at headers or good at getting his head onto the end of things and directing it on goal. Um, you know, and he's got a nice quick sort of shot when when he gets into the box, which I think sometimes some of our players don't have or can't get their shots off as quickly as he can. And I think those are really valuable things that could help us. So I think it's it's also potentially a solution just to to us getting more goals in the side. But but obviously it comes with other things like withholding and and the other jobs that he does. So yeah. Yeah, I basically agree here. Um individually he I think his best role would be to to be closer to goal and to get into those positions. I think we're doing a lot of work to facilitate those things even when he plays in the wide positions especially with jesus coming outside and allowing martinelli to take up more central positions um the big problem is just collectively looking at the squad we have a lot of players that can fulfill the nine role especially in the way we play it uh, as more of a facilitative role first and a sec and a scoring role second better than martinelli can while also having no player who could replicate what martinelli gives us on the wing as much as Martinelli does. So moving him away from there is a bit of a problem. Um, I think he does a lot of good things there, and I think we're best off keeping him there while still working on solutions to get him closer to go. It's between him and Trossard for me, who's the best finisher at the club. So getting both of those guys Bodo into... is also a pretty good finisher. I think yeah, I would say yeah, yeah, Trossard, I forgot about Bodo Bodo yeah. Martinelli. Um, so, so getting him into shooting positions is definitely going to be an important step towards sort of re- rejigging the attack to to be more firing. Yeah, I actually disagree with both of you. I I think he not not in the meat and bones of what you're saying, uh, but in the conclusion. I I think we can get him into central areas really well and. Um, exploit his pace and finishing ability to its best from wide areas. Uh, I look especially at Sadio Mane for Liverpool. Obviously, in his last year, 18 months at the club, he moved central. But I think the best we saw of Mane was when he was coming in from wide, using his pace and his dribbling ability to just terrorise defences. And I think... When we've seen Martinelli at his absolute best, that's what he's been doing for us. I just don't think playing out wide is in any way prohibitive to you being your team's primary goal scorer in modern it, football. I mean, it, and I so, I, yeah, it, yeah, it, that's, but yeah. but the thing is, it depends on the system, right? Yeah. and that's sort of so. I mean, within this sort of system, I I don't really mind him starting, which is why I also said inside forward. I don't mind him starting from out wide, but it is about how we get him more central. And I think it, the thing is that he offers, you know, goal scoring as I think where we can tap into the most potential from him. And especially in those transition moments, being a bit narrower just ups the amount of times that you're actually in positions to score. And I think he has more scoring potential than 
than Sadio Mane for sure in terms of like his his ability, but less sort of overall play, which is why I think Mane works really well from that wide point. Um, maybe a better sort of sort of a comparison is even Sa- Salah, who they did try to get sort of more narrow, but I think Salah is also really good at wide. And for the good of the team, his hit at one point a couple of seasons ago for Liverpool, his own goal scoring sort of did drop off a little bit to kind of, as Seb was speaking, do what was best for the side in aggregate. And I, I agree right now, Martinelli doing all that stuff out wide is is best for him. I just, I, I get the sense, and I guess it's, it, it is hard to know at this point, but I get the sense it's not as natural to him as when we just got him a little bit more narrow in that corridor and kind of making those darting runs more. And I think he'll still get goals and he, he proved last season, he'll still get goals from really wide. But, but will he get as many as he could if he was slightly narrower? And where's the value in that compared to how we're using him currently? So, so yeah, it's just all about kind of how we move him in and make those rotations. I agree with that for sure in terms of starting position. But like, where is he best is sort of the equation going on. I would also say that inside forward specifically rather than nine would probably be the maximization of his role. Um, if we look back at his, his finishing, I think most of his best finishes come from him arriving into central spaces or getting into central spaces with the ball rather than just statically being there. Um, and and occupying defenders and finding open spaces without having the ball. Um, So that would probably be best. And from that perspective, I think we already do a lot of good work in getting him into those positions, at least in settled attack. I agree with Alex that, especially in transition, we could do more to get him closer to, closer centrally to to maximize him in, in transition. But we don't really have that many opportunities to do so at the moment considering we don't transition that much but yeah i definitely wouldn't play him nine for the nine we need right now to be clear like i don't think that serves the system best at all i think he he in this current team he has best as as the left wing he's being used as and would be a little bit better if we could rather than just using gabriel jesus to rotate once we're ready in the final third and kind of dismark him and get those runs in as we were doing brilliantly to be fair last season um I think having him a little bit narrow so that actually even in any sort of transition, he's that danger on the counter or even can receive it. And he's really good at carrying through the middle. I think that's one thing that's sort of, because we don't see it often, but I mean, you've seen it for Brazil where he's allowed, obviously he spoke about how Denise gives him a lot more freedom as Denise pretty much does to everyone. Um, <laughs> several know more about Denise than I do, <laughs> but, but he's really good at carrying through the center. And I think, that's just also a cheat code that we don't really tap into. I mean, lots of players are really good at carrying through the wide the wide areas. I mean, it's still really good that he, how well he can do that. But carrying through the center is, as especially as a striker, is, is a rare talent that he's actually really good at. So it's just about what sort of parts of his ability you can tap into. But I don't really, I don't really agree with anyone who's like very um, determined on like what his best role is going to be yet because i still think there's it, it you know he's what he's 22 and he's really good at a number of things that you just kind of have to find a way to put them together um but i'm open to the idea of him being best as a nine going forward i kind of do lean a little bit more to that inside forward which is between the winger and the nine to be fair i think this is a good time to go into a break we will be back in just a couple seconds with more of your questions at Lagu135 asks, how will team dynamic look with Odegaard being reintroduced into the squad? Seeing as we've had more fluidity with Trossard at 9 and Havertz filling in at right 8. Will Havertz be forced to shift back to left 8? Uh, Alex, what do you think? 
I knew this was going to come to me first. Um, I think it's an interesting one. I do think what is proven true is Saka accessing the inside a little bit more and Kai Havertz floating around. What I will say, though, is I don't see any reason why Odegaard can't just float out. People make it seem like Odegaard is the reason that, that like, Odegaard's own, like, let's say inclinations is the reason that he'll stay in, in that zone. And I think it's it's completely under instruction. If we move back two seasons or so, our whole game was just Saka and and Urugu on the right-hand side kind of swapping between each other. Urugu went out and held width on the right often. I don't think it's something he's against doing. I don't think there's some sort of ego thing about wanting to be there and wanting to be, you know, the guy shooting or cutting in and just being right in front of the goal. I don't think it's any of that. I think basically our season started, Arteta sees Urugu shooting from that area as a viable way of scoring, whether it be from the initial shot or, you know, rebounds and deflections or whatever and then being tucking away that rebound right without really compromising any sort of rest defense of like solid solidity where's the thing maybe you maybe do lose it when you move Urdugo out wide a little bit you could you know create certain ways in which the team can the opposition team can counter you effectively so I don't see why there's any reason why Urdugo can't now that we're maybe a little bit more with the system can't float around and do the same things Havertz was doing, but just better than Havertz in all areas. But um, but I think arriving in the box and you know getting on the end of headers and stuff, I think Udegor can arrive kind of just on the edge of the box is kind of his 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 danger zone, right? Whereas Havertz is obviously not scored yet, but you can see a goal is going to come at some point from Havertz arriving on on the end, crashing it at the at the far post at some point, right? So yeah, I think we we don't really necessarily lose fluidity with Odegaard there. I think a lot of the fluidity does come with Trossard at nine rather than Eddie, and I think that's significant. And I do think Havertz and Trossard work really well together. So that's where the Odegaard will work as well with with um, Trossard is is another question, right? I think one of the things that is nice about the soccer and Havertz dynamic is one is a little bit more creative, likes to be on the ball, and the other one runs whereas you do have you know unfortunately both Odegaard and Saka do their best work on the ball in times of trying to create or shooting from those areas right so there are some sort of things but I still think Odegaard's just at this point a bigger asset to the team than Havertz makes us a better side and I do I do have some faith you know as much as I feel like I may be the Havertz skeptic in the group I do have faith that he You're can... You're not. Lorcan exists. Yeah, I wasn't just about to say <laughs> No, but I think... I think Lorcan definitely thinks of him as a success at strike. And I can see him being a success at strike. I can see him being a success within some sort of system where he's still basically a forward, but is like the left or right eight, which has kind of been what he has been recently, right? Um, and I'm a bit... I'm a bit lower on him as like a definite success at striker. But I do think I have faith for whatever reason. Maybe it's just way too much copium. This football is doing wild things to my brain. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I I I don't see a reason why Odegaard necessarily disrupts the the fluidity of the team um, beyond anything that I think is instructional on him from Arteta. And I think Odegaard is sort of like the number one soldier will do what he's told to do and execute it, even if it's not necessarily the best for the side. 
Um, yeah, but I'm interested, Seb, what you kind of think in terms of Uruguay versus Havertz, because I know you're you're a big Havertz fan. Yeah, um, I generally agree with you that we don't we wouldn't really lose anything in terms of the fluidity we've gained in recent weeks if Uruguay just swaps straight back in for Havertz. Um, and I'd really like to see him rekindle those uh, rotations that he did do a season or two ago with Saka. Um, what I think the biggest positive of this entire th- spiel has been is that we now have probably the best working solution for Odegaard not being in the team or sort of substitute to Odegaard um, that we've had in the last few years, which I see as a positive and another angle which uh, with which we can use Havertz in different roles. He'd probably, probably go back to the bench or... Um, in certain scenarios where we want Rice in the six, move back to left eight. At that point, when he moves to left eight, I probably wouldn't want Trossard in the team, simply because those two in that in those zones take each other uh, to take each other's spaces away a bit. Trossard, um, wait, Trossard and Havertz. Yeah, only when Havertz plays in the left eight instead of the right. Eight. Okay, okay. I th- I think that's the only uh, query I have with those two playing together. I think if if Havertz primarily focus on the right hand side and Trossard's in the team, that works really well, considering both are on opposite sides when when Trossard drops or when Kai, uh, when Kai moves higher. Um, but with both on the left hand side, that's a bit muddy, so I wouldn't really like that. Um, but having him having another solution for him is a positive, and having her to go on the team is a positive. And yeah, I I generally agree that the the overall fluidity probably won't diminish uh with Odegaard coming back but rather an uptick just in nimbleness and in in technicality in the le- right hand side again yeah i mean it's it's an interesting one i mean I, we definitely do lose a run and i guess it depends on how much you look at at I mean, Odegaard as can being... function as a runner if he wants but, to but he but yeah he, do- he doesn't necessarily do it currently which is the big issue and if he does, it's it's sort of a, a service rather than a threat. Yeah. If you know what I mean, he's True. not yeah, yeah. he's not someone I'm seeing running behind, and I'm like, okay, this is the guy that you're gonna play, and he's doing it to kind of try drag markers away. And obviously, it's to some extent the opposition has to react to that, but it's pretty safe once they do, and it's more just about facilitating soccer. Then I guess it it is about how much you see how important Trossard is to the to the fluidity of the team. Because I can kind of buy, and I do think Havertz and Trossard have looked good together, just in kind of like their counter movements towards each other even, right? Um, with regard to each other, I should say. I think maybe you can make the argument that bringing Odegaard in takes out Havertz as that kind of runner. And then Trossard isn't really that runner. He is like a facilitator forward, center forward, that maybe then you kind of lose a little bit of balance. Um so I can't, I can't kind of see the the arguments there. I guess it, it'll just be interesting to see how things sort of go. I have a feeling that we... we And I must say, Jorginho has been really important to me in terms of how we've been building through the middle. He's been perfect since coming in, basically, right? I've, I've I loved, think he's been I've one of the him. three or four best performers over the last few weeks. For sure. He, he's been excellent. And I think he, he also just allows us to unleash Rice in a way that I see as kind of like slapping a... A plaster over our, our problems because Rice can just bully his way through the midfield. Um, but it is still something, and that's not what we want with Rice long term. And I do think there's still some some certain shortcomings um, once he gets into the final third. Like he's not quite as neat and neatly with it as 
maybe you'd want a player in that position to be. But he's excellent at getting us into those areas. And this is why um, you play Zinchenko at number eight, eh? Exactly. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I do like this sort of rotation thing. We spoke about that earlier, so let's not bring it bring it back up. But yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I think it might need rejuggling, but I also just think Urugu is even if he's struggling with form at the moment, a better player than Havertz, who's also struggling with form. And sometimes the tactics are important, but also they need to be more important than the aggregate quality that you're putting into the side. And I, I think Urugu also gives us defensive solidity just in different ways. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not, I wouldn't really be surprised if we do go back to Havertz left eights um, once Odegaard comes back into the team and then Rice dropping back to the six. Not saying I necessarily think that's what we should do, but I think I could really see Arteta doing that. I'd I'd love for us to try Odegaard on the left eight, have its right eight, because then you do have that balance. Arteta is a very, if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of manager. Uh, And while he does have his favourites, I kind of wouldn't be surprised if Odegaard doesn't come back into the team straight away. Given that our last couple games before the international break were arguably two of our best performances of the season so far, that's not to say that I don't think he should. Um, but yeah, I, I don't. I, I think the Jorginho Rice Havertz midfield has been working well, and there is a non-zero chance that Havertz that Arteta just doesn't fix what isn't broken. I mean, I think that's that's. A perfectly valid point too. I would be surprised, but it's just because I know Arteta loves Uruguay. Yeah, and if he does, if, if, if he does uh, change it, that's why I think Havertz would be dropped, right? Because if you're gonna change, if you're gonna try and fix what's broken, don't get rid of the whole fucking thing and do it again completely differently. Like he'll hopefully, I think, keep the Rice Jorginho midfield partnership, which has been working quite well. And just swap in Odegaard. What would you guys do? I I think your points are great. Uh, sorry, um, I'm just interested. What would you guys do? Odegaard is available. Let's say next weekend. Whoever we're playing, Odegaard is avo- available. What do you do with the team? I'll, I'll start with you, Tals. I, given that the team we're playing is Brentford away. Brent Brentford. Don't get me wrong. Excellent side, but it's not as if we're coming up against a Man City or Liverpool. I think I'm gonna practice what I've just preached. If it isn't broke, don't fix it. Odegaard starts from the bench. If Havertz, if Havertz is mid, plug him in and see how it goes. Yeah, I agree. Especially considering Brentford, aerial threat. Always a good idea there. Interesting. What about you, Alex? Uh, I mean, I struggle to argue with your guys' points. I think I would start Odegaard, but maybe... I mean, I really wouldn't be upset if he didn't start and then we brought him on later to see to change the game rights if Havertz wasn't doing enough Havertz has also been looking really good um I have not been on the pod to acknowledge this but has been looking really good these last few weeks and has been going from strength to strength in what is largely to be honest kind of like a forward role and Odegaard wouldn't be doing that same sort of role so you would be changing things if you brought Odegaard on yeah, I think I would I would probably I think I'm changing my mind. Maybe I would go with the same team, but just with a really any opportunity, any reason to change it, I would look to see what Odegaard looks like in this team. Because we've not really seen Odegaard with um with the support of Jorginho and Rice. And I think a lot of the problems have been attributed to 
the previous midfield having to not with Uruguay starting or the problems we had when Uruguay was playing haven't acknowledged the importance of Jorginho since coming in um, and kind of building that relationship with Rice as well, to be fair. That was a very interesting conversation, but also a very long one. As while I'd love to continue it, we should probably move on, given we have more questions to answer. Uh, Jug Boiler asks, Often with newly promoted or rebuilding sides, the focus is on developing a strong defensive approach before building the in-possession unit. Do you guys see any resemblance? Um, and do you feel like this out-of-possession approach could give us an even more solid basis to build from in the future. Um, I certainly think that's the plan. I think that's absolutely the plan to build a base out of possession structure that is top two in the world and probably not second um, and then go from there. But yeah. Um, so after we lost to Newcastle, I was quite like, annoyed about this, about our defensive first approach. And I spoke about it at length on the pod, so I'm not going to dwell on it too much here. But I think in the games that we've seen post-Newcastle, we've seen things start to look a little bit better, especially with Trossard in there. Just making things... Just greasing the wheels of our attack. Um, so, yes, I think that is the plan. I do see a resemblance. And... We're seeing some green shoots that make me optimistic that this is a solid basis for us to build on. Uh, Seb, do you have anything to add? Not really. I mean, this has been the blueprint since Arteta came in, right? The first few years have basically been um, developing a backbone and developing the entire backline and getting a solid foundation before starting to add sort of more eccentric pieces in Zinchenko and Jesus in last summer even. Before that, most of the signings that have came in and most of the stuff we've done in the transfer market and in developing players has more been about creating a solid back structure and then moving on from there. Um, I do think it, it it will benefit us long term. It's It probably will annoy us at times as it did against Newcastle, but this has been the, the trajectory for for the past few years and um i think we we will do nothing but continue in that um in that trajectory and if the pass is anything to go by it probably will be very successful going forward yeah i don't have anything to add really i think it's it's kind of obvious that we have been going for an out of possession approach first and kind of wanting to build from there and it's sort of something that I remember even going back to the the summer with the, the preseason ponderings part that Lorcan and I spoke about on there. And I think even on, on Tifa, that, that's sort of what we should be expecting. And I think it's proven that it's been a bit more frustrating because the attacking stuff hasn't, has felt like a big step back, a bigger one than we wanted. But, but yeah, I think it's just now kind of trying to work out off the base that we've had, that we've created a really good defensive base and out of possession base. How are we going to put things together in possession, which which I think we will do. I hope we will do. I think we definitely have the pieces to do. I, I almost feel sorry for Jug Boiler here because he's asked a really interesting and layered question. And the answer is just yes. <laughs> it's because he's asking it, but he already knows the answer. He's asked a good question, which he's right about, I think. Fair enough. <laughs> 
Newsfinder asks, do you think we'll see a change in the balance between our attack and defence in the second half of the season, or are we going to play like now until the end of the season? Uh, well, if now means the last two games where we've been defending really well and then having fun, fluid attacking plays because Leandro Trossard is good, uh, then I'm perfectly happy with playing like now, uh, but I'm interested to hear what you guys think. Alex? I think... We're at no point in the season, except for maybe in rare cases where we really need to chase games, are we going to compromise the defensive structure? So it's just all about the improvements in the in-possession stuff. So I don't think the balance is going to change from a priority point of view, I should say. I don't think Arteta is going to, you know, embrace like an Ange Postacoglu sort of mindset of like, we're just going to go out and attack them. That's just what we do, mate, sort of vibes. I think he's always going to be like, no. We're going to keep this defensive base, but we're going to try find other ways without compromising that to be able to be a better attacking side, which I think we have seen the last couple games. I even think the Newcastle game was honestly a good showing in possession, um, just without the final sort of, you know, touches. I, I think we had a lot of box entries in that game, did did we not? Yeah, I, yeah, I thought it was did. a good. I thought it was a good performance, but without that final ball, and maybe you know we haven't been that as exciting a side. So it makes you feel like we're less dangerous. But I think we were just without that final touch. So I think we've been improving. We'll see how consistent that stays. But but I don't think the balance is going to change between an attack and a defense. It's just the, the execution in offense will hopefully improve. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, this what we've seen over the last few games is just who we are. And the only tangible difference that's going to come is probably going to be through January editions, if they were to come. That would probably be the only big change in how we play, but not necessarily in terms of the balance, as you said. That That is set in stone. It's just probably a way to, to alleviate some of the central access issues uh, long term. That's something we have to do through personnel rather than system itself. So, yeah. Also, because I think the, the big games for us are probably going to be the Champions League. I'm hoping knockout games, I think, is going to be... And I don't think Arteta will want to change too much for those games. And I think keeping the sort of same structure, same mindset is important. It's not just changing it up too much. Um, but yeah, that's a bit of speculation. But I think I think we'll, we'll see the same sort of balance we have now, just hopefully a better offensive team. Chris Roll Ferreira, and I apologise if I've butchered that pronunciation, asks, what defines success for Arsenal this year? Um, we touched on this not very long ago, uh, when it was you, Manus, and I said about how we were reassessing our priors coming into the season. But um, Alex, as the quiz master from our preseason predictions pod, I think it's interesting <laughs> to have you on here and discuss it as well. Um Earlier in the pod, when we just breezed by it, I said title challenge and going deep in all the cups. I'm pretty sure that's what we settled on at the start of the season. Has any has that changed for you, Alex? My 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 take was yeah, being able to challenge properly for silverware, whether we win it or not, often comes down to a final. But being able to be a silverware winning side. Um, and then, yeah, consolidating what we did in the league and kind of still being, you know, 75 plus at the minimum points. I think I predicted us to get 84 points, 
which I don't feel like we are. I'm hoping maybe for more like 80, 78 to 80 points would be even slightly, I'm not sure what we're on for, but so I guess what's changed my mind is even in the preseason, I did say that I think we would take a bit longer to get going this season. Um, but I kind of maybe predicted the best case scenario of taking longer to get going and our attack really has been a concern to me and our central progression. So maybe that's dampened my feelings about how good we are. Um, but I haven't really, not, not enough to change my expectations for us. And also the fact that I still do think we're going to keep improving and I have seen improvement from since the start of the season. So there's no reason for me to to revise that, just rather revise the starting point from where that improvement needs to take place, from what level. So, yeah, I, I still think we're going to go deep in the Cups. I actually feel really good about our Champions League run. I'm touching wood, every piece of wood that I can find. Um, but yeah, I think, and that'll be an important one to to judge Arteta off. I think the way he set up the team, how we approach those games. Um, but yeah, in the league, I think it's just being second best being a you know hitting that 75 point mark quite comfortably hopefully would be would be success for me this season and then kind of seeing what we do next season because that is the season i think the squad should start looking to really win the league and push um and arteta should be looked at through the through those um that lens right sub um nothing to add there i i think uh, Alex basically nailed that. In that case, I'll go off script a little bit, and I'll ask a question which came up in my head while Alex was talking. Do you think Arsenal are better or worse than last season? Worse, for sure. Than this time last yeah. season as well. Worse, for sure. I think we're better defensively. Quite a lot better defensively, but also just a lot worse offensively. But it's also... I say this, and maybe I've been speaking too long... So um, maybe let's uh, expand. But I do think also the teams I've set up, like this is the toughest league in the world and every single manager basically is a really, really, really good manager. And teams know how to set an adaptable managers, which is something Except that makes... Except Eric Ten Hag. <laughs> <laughs> Even Eric Ten Hag. And I think he's finding the difficulty of teams knowing how to adapt against him, right? As, as one of the best in the in, best teams in the division. Well, should be. But... But yeah, so I think I think it's also sometimes you've got to look at like the, the factors, but I don't think Arteta's adjusted to it maybe from a point of recruitment in the summer as well as he could have. Um, but yeah, I do think we're worse than last season, but just r- a lot better defensively and a lot worse offensively. But I think the offensive downturn does come in no small part by not having Gabby J in the form that he was in first half of last season. Um, just not even really having him as much as we should, and then and then teams knowing how a bit better how to set up against us, how to double up on our wingers, how to how to manage us, which they didn't the first half of last season. If you take this question like very face value, that it's really simple. No, right? Like if you look at where we are now compared to this time last season, we have less points. We are not on top of the league. We're worse, right? But I, I think it's an interesting question because of the defensive improvement. Um, so like, it's like a question of, do you, do you value being the best defensive team in the world so much? How, how much do you value being the best defensive team in the world at the expense of that attacking? 
Uh, Alex, I'll go to you. I think I think partly for Seb and I, it it's also a bias thing. I think we're both, you know, we're Wenger, we're Wenger, like <laughs> grew up in Wenger ball, a truthers, and we're still that that sort of lover, like a technician, a light technician. So we we see that that offensive downgrade maybe more so than it it even is. And maybe what's interesting to me is I wonder what Arteta thinks of us. Like, are we? Does he think we're a better team this season than we were last season? I'd be very interested to. We'll never be able to know. Like, regardless of if he answered this, we'll never know. But I'd, I'd be very interested to know whether. And I'm not even talking the squad. I think the squad is definitely better. I'm, I'm thinking, what does he think of the the starting eleven? How the starting eleven performs? How the tactics are this season? Whether it's an improvement or, or downgrade from last season? Because I wouldn't be surprised if he much prefers what we look like this season, especially because he has an idea of how he wants to build on this team. Seb? I suppose I would say it like this. I think we're a worse team than last season, but we're a more stable team and probably a more sustainable team. Uh, last year's success was so uh, dependent upon the fitness of 11 players and the cohesion that those guys created with one another on shoulders that are probably aging out especially in in midfield that this iteration is is more stable we we don't depend as much on the availability of certain players because we we padded out the squad accordingly that we can compensate for almost uh every individual absence it's another story if three or four of those would would be gone at the same time but the the other flip side of that in terms of stability is also just what we've talked about is our defensive um improvements which which give us a, a higher floor than it does last season where we were basically hitting our ceiling which isn't isn't as high anymore but our floor is significantly raised through what we've done so we're probably better set for the future than we were last season but in in the meantime we, we are a bit worse yeah i'd argue our ceiling is probably higher right now we're just not hitting it i i, I think so and i agree with both both that and Seb's point about it being stable. I think we spoke about this basically this time last year. Tiles, when we were just winning everything, we were like, we don't even really know where we can criticize, where we can improve on. Because everyone was just hitting the right notes. The tactics were working so well. We had some points and stuff, right? But I think you can really see a lot that this team can improve. And I'm not talking about dipping into the market. I'm talking about just trying to get more out of certain players, adjust certain things, right? Maybe we're wrong, maybe we're not, but it does lead to that feeling that there's a lot more in this team where I think this side from last year, <laughs> if that makes sense, um, was performing better, but almost kind of, yeah, hitting that ceiling, whereas I do feel there's still a lot of room that you hope we realize in the next half of, yeah, in the next part of the season. Yeah, Definitely. I think it's a good time to move on to uh, the final questions, which come from our good friend Sav. Uh, I, I will add that Chris also asked a secondary question, but it's another one about Kai Havertz, and we've answered a few of those already this pod, so Chris, I hope you'll forgive me if I'm skipping over the second half of your question. Uh, so, Sav asks... Shout out to Chris, uh, Bonito, uh original. <laughs> absolutely shout out to Jugo Benito as a pod as well go listen to go that listen. yeah go listen to the pod from which we poached Sab 
So, you have to replace one member of Arsenal men's squad's hands with hooks. Brackets, standard hooks, a la Captain Hook, not grappling hooks. Who becomes hook boy and why? No fake answers like Cedric. <laughs> Says Sav. Um, I really wanted to, like, hang on to this and make it a pot shot question for a future episode, but Sav was strangely insistent that we answer this question today, so in the plan it goes. Sav. So, I think who would benefit most from having a hook instead of a hand is Jorginho. <laughs> because in the multitude of instances where people run past Jorginho and he can't cover back, he can simply hook the person, pull him to the ground, <laughs> and pick up a tactical foul. Oh my god, imagine, like, what length of suspension do you think he'd get if he, like, accidentally went, like, through someone and, like... I'll tell you what, though, Bruno Gomerich, Bruno Gomerich wouldn't have messed with him if he had hooks behind. <laughs> he wouldn't have been getting elbowed in the head or pushed over. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, no, he wouldn't. No, he wouldn't. That is true. Um, Alex, do you have any advance on Jorginho? I think I'd just like to see Gabriel Jesus with hooks for hands, just to see the expression in his face when he's looking at his hooks for hands because I think it would be pretty funny <laughs> especially the despair kind of like the same sort of look he has every time he misses an open goal <laughs> so so he'd be my pick uh, I reject the premise of the question I'm just going to take a little hook and I'm going to sellotape it to Wind's tail <laughs> why? Uh, for what reason? Should I, 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 I don't want to give <laughs> any Arsenal player hooks for hands <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's relatively self-explanatory. I just don't want to do it. That's not my idea of fun. Well, maybe, um, yeah, you know. I find speaking with hooks to be a nice proposition. It's purely tactical advantage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Advancing uh, as a player by any means possible <laughs> makes it a bit tougher for his future as a as a you know great manager someday when he's trying to move true. those old pieces around on the board. <laughs> So we have to decide, are we going to try and maximize on Jorginho? We'll make it so you can, like, screw in and unscrew, like, different bits. And one of the things you can screw in is, like, a little grabby hand thing. Anyway, um, Sav also asked, what's the best Arsenal women's pod out there? And Sav, I believe you know the answer to that. Right, so if you're looking for a startup pod that focuses on the tactical side of Arsenal women, you can just stay at Podshot. We saw, yeah, uh, we yeah, absolutely. This. The, the the best <laughs> Arsenal women's pod out there is us, except it's not us. It's the Arsenal women's side of Potshot, which is run by Seb and Sav. It's every what two weeks, three weeks. Yeah, every two weeks, except for international breaks, we're putting out an episode where we look at the last two to three games of the Arsenal women, um, discuss different tactical themes we've seen throughout the week, weeks, and uh, yeah. It's been very, very fun to make. And it's been very fun to listen to. And as said, you don't have to go anywhere. You can stay right here in Potshot. Just uh, the Arsenal women's episodes will pop up in exactly the same feed as these episodes. All you need to do is keep an eye out for any pod which starts with AWFC. And that's a pod about the Arsenal women. So make sure you're tuning into those. Uh, they've been going really, really well. Uh, Seb and Sav have been doing an excellent job with them. 
so yeah, go and enjoy that content. The most recent one went out this weekend, in fact. So make sure you check it out. And with that, I think it's about time we draw this podcast to a close. Thank you to everyone who asked questions. Uh, if you want to ask us questions, even if it's not a Q&A episode, uh, you can do so on Twitter at PotShopPod. Um, we also have little question boxes underneath our Spotify, um, which, which which we do check. Um, and so thank you to the person who alerted us on Spotify to the fact that the last week's episode was only four minutes long for about an hour. Apologies about that. That's my four up. minutes of talking about pasta. Yeah, four minutes of talking about pasta. My my fault. Sorry about that. Um, but yeah, um, we fixed it eventually. Uh, if you've got any questions to ask, you can ask it on Spotify as well. Uh, thank you to Seb and Alex for coming on. Uh, Alex in particular, thank you for putting your thesis panic on pause for <laughs> an hour or so to come and chat to us. It's a pleasure. Um, I hope, I feel like half of my answers were panic pieces panic induced, such was the urgency, <laughs> but that I responded. But no, it's good to be back on and I'm looking forward to joining you guys more consistently again from next year. But yeah. Absolutely. Uh if you want to find any of the Potshot crew on Twitter, you can do so. Our Twitter handles are in the description. Also in the description is a link to James Blake at JW Blake. He makes the music. You can listen to other music, which is made by him. I highly recommend it. I also highly recommend that you rate and review the pod. It really does us great because uh, it tells Spotify or Apple or whoever you use to listen to us that you enjoy listening to us and might even make them tell other people about us. Uh, so please do leave us a rate and a review and just tell other people to come and get us a listen find out more about the Arsenal uh, we will be back next week with a review of the Brentford game but for now, cheers <laughs>